A church, I'd like to invite you to stand, get your exercise in for the reading of the word. It comes to us from Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 16. About noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heaven opened and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again a second time, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times. And the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. The word of God. Please be seated. Good exercise today. I like it. It's good. Keeps the blood flowing. It is a pleasure to be with you, church, today. And it's a pleasure to talk about music. I love music. Who likes music? Show of hands. Yeah? I love music. You love music? Music lovers? All right. Sorry, I was just looking there. Yeah, okay, good. Yes, yes, I love music. I love nerding out about music, and, and I do. I'm, I'm particular. I'm at the age now where, right, when I was growing up, I would be asked, what kind of music do you like? Oh, I like everything. Did you used to say that? Some of you still probably do. I like everything. <clears throat> I don't like everything. I, I just don't. There's some music I don't like, and it's okay. It's not that it's bad. I just don't prefer it. And I'm at the age now where, where I, it's fine. It's okay to not like something, uh, to not have a preference for it. But I love music. I love the ins and outs of it, and I love the fact that last week, Pastor Chris, you nerded out a little bit, because I love to nerd out, and I'm sensing that this is a safe place to do that. A little bit, yeah? Well, music is all about tension and release. That's, that's how music works. And I don't know what your preference is when it comes to music, but it's all about tension and release, resolution at some point. Now, there's a word that some of you may be familiar with, some of you may not be familiar with, and this word is French. Sorry. Frison. So we'll get that up there. Have you heard this word? Anyone here? Yes. All right. Some people here. Maybe my music people know frison. So frison, right? If you look it up, right, it'll say it is a thrill. Now, some of you, when you listen to music, about two-thirds of you, it is a visceral experience. You actually will get goosebumps sometimes when you're listening to music, yeah? You've experienced that? Free song, right? Whoa, whew. I think I just got it right now talking about it. It's really cool, love it. 
But I love, actually, I was reading an article describing what Frison is, and for it, I'm gonna need a prop, which I stashed back here. I'm gonna grab it, and I'm gonna do something that no one should ever do, ever. Here's my prop, it is a chair. And this is something that I've done over the course of my life. And this is for Frison, all right? So this is Frison. This is how it's described. Frison, it's when you're tipping your chair back and then it is the moment when you feel like you're gonna go over, right? It's like, whoa, whoa, yes. All of a sudden, your, fla your life flashes before your eyes and there is a moment that catches you, right? That's Frison. And interesting enough, that is the word associated with music. Now, I love Frison because I think that's what makes music great. It's a moment of surprise that catches you off guard. And when it comes to music, right, there are certain things that we just come to expect. Right, so, right, there we go. Right? There was, we, we came to expect kind of that moment. But sometimes, right, in music, there are things that catch us off guard. Now, a few years ago, ah, decades now at this point. So I I'll tell you what kind of music I like. I like jazz fusion. And it's just, right, it's all about virtuosity, really technical, really just, it's an acquired taste. Not everyone likes it. I get it. It's fine. <laughs> Right, but there are songs we're familiar with, like, right? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved someone like me. Right? Okay, so, so we, we come to expect it, right? But I had a friend who had this arrangement, and it just, it caught me. It's not mine, right? It's so good. Amazing how sweet the sound that saved whew, a wretch like me. I once, whew, what was he doing? Was lost, but now I'm found. Blind, but now I see. Woo, he played that. And I was like, what even are you doing? Woo, he messed me up. But he caught me off guard, right? No, no, yeah, yeah, whatever it is. Whatever it is, it's fine. And, and so, right, he caught me off guard, freeze on. It was this moment. It's what makes music great for me. And as it relates to the life of faith, Frison, surprise has something for us today. So we're gonna locate today's story, right? 
And we're familiar with the story. We've heard it before, the sheets of unclean animals coming down to Peter. But last week, I do have to say something about last week. Last week, we were talking about Tabitha, a.k.a. Dorcas, right? And uh, we were talking after church. Um, oh, I think it was Saturday evening with Pastor Chris, and a story came up. I got permission to share this right? <laughs> from my kids. But, you know, as you do, you clean your house, you gather the things, right? <laughs> and you give stuff away, right? We're just trying not to be cluttered. And our sons were getting really frustrated with this process, and they just asked, who is Dorcas, and why is she taking all our stuff? Dorcas. <laughs> so now we pick up the story right after this, right? Right after the resurrection of Dorcas and then Peter, right? We, we meet up with Peter, but not quite yet. First, in verse 1, we meet Cornelius the centurion in Caesarea. He's a Gentile, but he's described as being a devout man who feared God. He gave generously and prayed constantly. So one day... During the time of prayer, at 3 p.m., he had a vision where an angel appeared to him. And the Bible says he stared in terror as one would do. That makes sense. I've never seen an angel. I imagine I would respond like Cornelius, staring in terror. And the angel tells him about Peter and where Peter is exactly. Right? Peter is staying with Simon the Tanner in Joppa. And so he tells him to send men to get him. And Peter, right, with Simon the Tanner. So the next day in Joppa, where Peter was, in the house by the seaside owned by Simon the Tanner at noon, Peter went up to the roof to pray. And then he got hungry as one does. About now. And fell into a trance. I don't know if anyone's fallen into a trance right now, but I hope it's good. And we pick up the story in verse 11. Right? In verse 11, he saw the heaven open and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again a second time, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, and the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. Right? So it happened once. Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. No. Like, we're not supposed to do that. Haven't you heard? <laughs> you said, don't do it. Well, don't call unclean what I have made clean. Get up, Peter, kill and eat. <laughs> no. How many times do we have to do this, Peter? Three times. This is the moment of surprise for Peter. This is it. Shock. Free song. It's happening here. Whoa. This wasn't, whoa, whoa. This isn't right. Peter continues to think about the meaning over the next few verses, but by verse 28, he knows what it means. Peter actually gets it. 
So we're going to look at Peter's process because, you see, within Judaism, right, the current climate of Judaism, there were three groups, three major groups, Pharisees, Sadducees. They were arguing with each other over doctrine. And the Essenes, they just thought they were better than everyone, as one does. And they couldn't agree on many things, but they did agree with their intense hatred for the foreigners. So we don't agree, but we can all agree that we don't like people that are not part of us. Can we agree on that? The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Hmm. This, is, this is the level they took it to, right? Even the dust from foreign land was considered defiled. The dust itself, right? It was as if it had come from a grave. That's how they were. And when it came to eating unclean food around the time of the Maccabees, right? The Jews would rather die than eat unclean food. <laughs> That's serious. This is kind of Peter's context, right? Now, let's follow his story. Dorcas was dead, which would make Peter ritually unclean, right? And then what? Where does it say he was? He was with Simon the Tanner. What does a Tanner do? A, a Tanner works with dead animals, ritually unclean. In fact, a Tanner was not allowed to be within the city. They had to live at least 50 cubits away from the city because they didn't want the tanner to defile the city. Ritually unclean. Where was Peter staying? With our guy, Simon the tanner. Simon and Simon, hanging out. All right, 80s reference, you're not. Okay, all right, okay, I see you. <laughs> but they're there. So you see Peter's pattern here. You see where he's... Peter, you're headed the wrong direction. My God, this is, this is a slippery slope that you're on. Where does it go next? To Cornelius. Cornelius, who is a centurion, right, of the Italian cohort. He's in charge of 100, right, 100 soldiers. And a Gentile, obviously, in Caesarea. What was Caesarea? Caesarea to them was bad News. They called it names. You can think of places that you call names, likely. They called it names because that was the Roman seat of power in Judea. This is where the bad guys were. Bad news. Cornelius. Why would the story go there? It's not getting better, Peter. It's getting worse. So the arc ends with Cornelius. But what we find is this about Cornelius. We know the story. Cornelius was the personification of the truth that Peter was meant to learn. Cornelius himself. And Peter does learn it by verse 28 as evidence in scripture. Right, look at verse 28. You yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. Peter gets it by verse 28. He was wrestling with it. What even does this mean? But then he knows. By the time he shows up to Cornelius' place in Caesarea, 
wait, something changed. Something shifted. This is a sea change. It's a pivotal turning point. Gentiles are inside God's story. They're inside, right? Up to this point, Peter thought, they're just on the outside. But no, no, they're not. They're actually firmly within the story. They're part of the story, right? Cornelius the unclean is in the story. Simon the tanner is in the story. Dorcas, the dead, now risen inside the story. And Peter is sitting on the front row watching this all happen. But I want to give this moment the attention it deserves for Peter. The moment of surprise. Why was this moment a surprise to Peter? Why was he so shocked? He was shocked. Did you read that in the text? Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. No, 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 no. Can you think of things you would say no to? No, no. No. God, God contradicted God's self here. Now, what would your reaction have been if you were Peter? Would you have been surprised or shocked or offended? God, how could you do this? Peter said, I, I don't know if you know we're not supposed to eat these things. No. Saying no to God. Bold. <laughs> this passage actually shows us what learning looks like. This is what learning and growing looks like. When was the last time you were surprised? Can you think? Maybe now. Maybe, maybe it just happened today. But, but when were the last time you were surprised? And what is your expectation for surprise? Did you show up today expecting to be surprised? Expecting God to surprise you? What's your capacity for surprise? Oh, I don't want to be surprised anymore. No thanks. Right? What, what is your appetite for surprise? See, Peter was operating within his framework. What, what was his framework telling him? His framework was telling him, right, don't eat these things. Not a thing we do. And even when given a directive by God, he balked. Huh. Now, about this particular instance, J.A. Alexander said, even divine authority was not sufficient to break the force of prejudice and habit. Even God telling him, God had to tell him how many times? Like, God. If God told you something, how many times would it take for you to listen? It took Peter three times. Do we have the capacity, the appetite, and the expectation to be surprised by God? Now, I love this question because our series is Start With Why, isn't it? Why are we here today? Or if you're online, why, why did you tune in? Did you expect to be surprised? Now, learning itself, and we mentioned this, learning itself feels a lot like surprise. But to be surprised, you have to not know something, right? Like when you walk up to your darkened home and the door is closed, right? You're pulling out your keys and you don't know that all your family and your friends 
are waiting there, ready to scare you half to death, and yell, surprise! Right? You didn't know that, and then you experience it, and then you lose three years of your life in that instant. (laughs) But you didn't know something, didn't you? For surprise to work, you have to not know something. But the problem is, we think we know it all, don't we? No surprise, because we know it all. We have all the answers. Now, this is one of the issues, and this is going to be kind of a bird walk, but this is one of the issues with things where you don't get surprised. I'll tell you what doesn't surprise me um, most of the time, uh, the news. The news does not surprise me, especially cable news. does not surprise me. Why? What's cable news going to do? Cable news, right, is going to say, we hate these people. Yes, we do. We agree on this. Yes, we do. Over and over and over. It doesn't surprise me. Be wary of areas where there's very little surprise. When's the last time a politician broke with his or her party? That's a surprise, isn't it? It's like, whoa, someone thinks for themselves. This is a thing. Oh, they're not going to last very long. (laughs) Isn't that how it goes? All right, done with my little bird walk. One of the problems is we've eliminated mystery. We know how this works. We have our framework, just like Peter. This is how it works. But the problem with our framework is... God. God is the problem with our framework. Because God cannot be contained by our framework. God refuses to be contained by our framework, by my framework. We talk about things we don't really understand all the time. It's weird, right? We'll say, God is infinite. Do you believe that? Because an infinite God will not fit in your framework. Let me ask another question kind of connected with that. Is there a limit to God's goodness? Do you think there's a limit? Then why do we limit God's goodness? Is there a limit to God's love? What's the right answer? (laughs) But why do we limit God's love? God doesn't work with our framework, unfortunately. And if there's no limit to God, learning forever is possible, which, coincidentally, Ellen White does talk about, doesn't she? Learning forever, the school in heaven. Well, to learn something, we have to not know something, don't we? What don't we know? What don't we know? All right, so infinite surprise is possible. Now, there's a quote here by David Stendhal Rast, Benedictine monk. He said, Surprise is another name for God. Surprise opens to the infinite, the new, and the unknown, to everything, to God. You're familiar with the facts of this story, but enter the frisson of Peter, right? If this is true, if what God just told me is true, then, then. See, this moment that we see for Peter is actually repentance, 
Peter is repenting in front of our eyes, and we're watching it in real time. What is he repenting from? He's repenting from his framework, what he believed was true. Dallas Willard defined repentance as thinking about our thinking. Have you thought about your thinking? Have you thought about how you think and what you think? Have you been reflective about that process? Have you rethought? That process is repentance. And in fact, if that is true, repentance can be a lifestyle. Everything changed at this point. Reality had shifted. And we as a church, we look at it and we say, ha, this was fantastic, incredible, because reality shifted. Right? Gentiles are now part of the story. But reality shifted, not for God, for Peter. Reality itself didn't shift. Peter had simply aligned now, right? Peter had aligned himself with what God was actually up to and what God was doing. This is not the moment for the Gentiles. It's not the moment. Consider the location. Now, there, there's stories within the story, aren't there? Consider the location. Where does Peter get this? He gets it in Joppa. Now, the Jewish mind, when they heard this, what would this mean? It wasn't the first time that God had reached out to someone at Joppa to reach out to Gentiles. God reached out to Jonah, and Jonah fled to Joppa. So when a Jew heard that this story was at Joppa, it was like, wait, God is back. God is actually still doing God's thing. It's still happening. God is reaching out to the Gentiles. And that would be deep in their mind. We're like that, right? Like we think about a place and there's a story behind. Like if I told you Ghirardelli was moving to Hershey, Pennsylvania, what would you think? Oh, wait, whoa, what's happening in the chocolate world? Right? <laughs> Location has history. Location tells stories, and Joppa here tells a story. God attempted to reach out before. God is doing it again here in this space. <laughs> now look at this, the, the words of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 19, 24 and 25. On that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my heritage. It wasn't just about Israel, was it? Ever. How could Egypt be God's people? How could Assyria be God's handiwork? God was never limited. Ever. The narrative was that it was Israel all along. They were God's chosen people. They were set apart. But set apart for what? To receive God's blessing? Or to be God's blessing? This freeze-on moment with Peter's repentance from his framework, 
and realignment with God's. Look at these words by Willie James Jennings. Boundaries and borders were human doing, not God's doing. God is on the side of universal concern and particular interests are always and everywhere a sign of the fall, an example of human undoing of the divine will. We did it. This is a seismic shift for Peter. Unless we miss the message and stop simply the Gentiles, consider Peter's reflection on God's words in verse 28. Because for us, we'll say, yeah, Gentiles, that's great. I'm not a Jew. (laughs) Yes, I'm part of the story. Fantastic. But look at Peter's words. God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. In verse 28. Anyone. Uh Uh-oh. Who does anyone include? (laughs) Who does does anyone leave out? Who, who, who Who is it? But what about those people I hate? Like, I really hate them. It's okay, right, if I call them profane or unclean, because I really don't, don't like them at all. They can be profane, right, or unclean. No, no, they're anyone, unfortunately. But I disagree with them. Can't they be unclean? No, no, no there's still anyone. But they're ruining things. They're ruining our country. They're ruining our church. Anyone. Whew. Peter, what are you doing even? Didn't you know we were going to read this? Kind of messing things up. Are you surprised by his words? Are you shocked? Are you offended? What did Peter do? What? By no means. I've never associated with anyone profane or unclean. What God has made clean, you must not call profane. But that happened three times. By no means, I've never associated with anyone profane or unclean. What God has made clean, you must not call profane. See, there's something something about surprise. God might reside within surprise. That might be one of God's addresses, right in there. So give yourself permission to be surprised. Give yourself permission. I give myself permission to be surprised. Okay. Where now is it? <laughs> look for it. Expect it. So what might it look like, you know, this following Jesus thing, what, what might it look like? In Brian McLaren's book, more ready than you realized. He has a couple of different sets, and I want to throw the first one up. It's called the Bounded Set, and I want to just walk through the story real quickly. You see this? Okay, there's the Bounded Set. You're in or you're out. See? So in the story of Peter, right, there was someone in and there was someone out. Who was in? Peter was in, right? Who was out? Well, Cornelius was out. Why? Well, Centurion, go down the list. Caesarea, Right? There were different reasons. But Cornelius was like this weird paradox. He was God-fearing. So he didn't actually, no, he wasn't out, was he? 
he actually wasn't out, which leads us to our next set. The next set is this, a centered set. Let's put the cross in the center. Now in this situation, right, the last situation, we're like, who's best off? The people who are in are the best off, and the people who are out, they're, you know, they're on the outside looking in. But in the centered set, right, who's the best off? Well, we would say the people closest to the center, right, to the cross. And maybe that's closer to what was true about Cornelius, because Cornelius was following after God, right? Not, not actually out. Maybe not a card-carrying member, but what even is that anyway? He was a God-fearing, alms-giving, prayer, following after God's heart. Now, the next set that McLaren talks about assigns velocities to some of the, the people. So you see, I don't know if you can see those arrows, but one is headed toward the cross, right? One is headed away from the cross, and one is kind of moving the other direction completely. Who's the best off in this situation? The person who's closest to the cross but moving away? Do you know who that might be in a in a religious situation, in a church, someone who is moving away from the cross, whereas maybe someone far away is headed in the right direction? Is this closer to true? And the last one taps into the surprise of God. The last set is the journey set because our God is full of surprises, dynamic and moving. Where in fact is God going? Who's best off in this situation? Moving with God. No friends. What a moment we're in, full of possibility. I've been surprised a lot over the past year, and I can't help but ask, where is God moving? Look up, expect it, because it could be a surprise.